this idea of, of never alone. In recent days, it's been very easy to, to feel alone. In the early days of quarantine, we were sequestered and separated, and it brought for many feelings of anxiety. In Scripture, there were times and events in King David's life when, when he was tempted to, to feel out of sight and out of mind of God. But as we have these possibly similar feelings, similar emotions, we have to bring it around to what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say about this? Psalm 139. David begins, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. To us, what does it mean to know someone? When you're getting to know me and, and I'm getting to know you, it's obtaining a level of understanding. It's learning and in, in current popular vernacular, how I'm learning how you're wired up. You're learning how I'm wired up, trying to gain a better understanding. And what does the Lord know? Well, David tells us the Lord knows when we sit, when we rise, when we walk, when we lie down, the whole of a day of life, from one day to the next to the next. He has searched us and is acquainted with all of our ways, all of our manners of life acquainted with my ways and aware of your ways. He's familiar with, he, he knows each of us intimately. And our paths, our, our roads of life. David says this in verse 3, You scrutinize, you scrutinize, you examine and, and inspect my way of life. Why? Well, we will have that question answered in just a moment. David says about the Lord that he is acquainted with the ways and the paths of our lives, the well-worn avenues of our routine. And when we read this, we, we, we're reminded that, you know, we really are never alone, are we? When I read this, I'm reminded about what mothers know. You can't pull much over mom. You know, when the children are little and they're very, very quiet. <laughs> you know, mama knows something is up. David says in verse 4, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Even before a word is spoken, when mothers... Give that warning. I know what you're thinking and you'd better not say another word. The Lord has whole knowledge. Which is an amazing, comforting, and yet terrifying realization. This picture of, of enclosed. Lord, you have enclosed me behind and before. You have, you have hemmed me in. You have secured me. You have laid your hand upon me. You have put your hand, you've set your hand Fixed your hand. One writer said that the Lord's hand is both to uphold me and at the same time to restrain me. We're, we're secure. And all of this is mind-blowing. Such knowledge is, is too wonderful for me, David writes. 
You've searched me. You know me. You know all my routines. You, you know my thoughts. What's more, you know my words before I even pronounce them. You go before me, behind me. You surround me. I am never alone. I can't comprehend it. You can't comprehend this. We're talking about the mind of God. The Lord knows us. But the mind of God is His knowledge accessible. He knows us. Can we know Him? Absolutely. Everything about Him, it's here in His Word. And David, he asks an important question in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. There was a day when we could take the bikes... Rodney and me and Chad and Jamie and James and Victor and Aaron and Jason. We could take the bikes and we could be gone all day. But our mothers knew where we would end up. <laughs> where can we go that God is not there? Where, where can you and I go to flee from His presence? And, and those questions, depending on our tone, depending on the tone, the manner in which those questions are being asked... That reveals their intent. For instance, is it a tone which points to the confidence of of knowing that you and I are never out of the sight of God? Or is it a tone which points to a desire to be hidden from God? To, To be left alone. Left alone to one's own plans and druthers. In in verse 8 and 9, we see a series of of four ifs. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, behold, you are there. The sky above, the earth below, you are. You are there. If I, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, David's saying, if I fly to the east, or if I settle to the loneliest part of the western horizon, far, far out to sea. You are there. We are never alone, never out of sight, never too far out of reach, are we? And what's more, even there, God's hand will lead and lay hold of us if we allow Him. Even there, he, he can guide us and take us in a whole other different direction. He can lay hold of us, and He will hold us fast. There's another if in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Overwhelmed. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? I have. Of course you have. That's part of the grand human experience. We've all felt overwhelmed. I think it's interesting that that the word for overwhelm can also mean crush or bruise. 
It's okay to feel overwhelmed. It's okay to feel crushed. It's okay to feel bruised. It's natural to feel overwhelmed when things seem dark. When you think that the only light at the end of the tunnel is what? (laughs) The oncoming train. What does verse 12 say? Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you, O Lord. The Apostle John reminds us that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we read those words. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. To, to God, darkness and light are the same. He controls the day and the night. You remember the story of creation in, in Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and the earth is formless. It's desolate. Boy, that word desolate sounds lonely, doesn't it? The, the earth is formless and desolate and, and empty, and darkness is over the surface of the deep. And then God says, what? Let there be light. And there was light. And, and God sees that the light is good, and, and God separates the light from the darkness. A reminder, I believe we need from time to time that darkness does not overwhelm the Lord. Do you know that the Lord is not surprised by anything? Whereas we find ourselves on a roller coaster of emotions and fears and manifold feelings and emotions... Questions, endless questions. The Lord is not surprised by anything. And, and darkness does not overwhelm the Lord. When things seem the darkest to us, darkness does not overwhelm the Lord. And I think about moms. I, I, they generally know what to tell their children when their children are overwhelmed. And, and much of the time, despite the darkness... Mothers can assure their children without saying a word. David says in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. What has God done? We, We see here the creation of life. We, we are given an image of gestation, uh, the journey to childbirth. The journey to childbirth. The Lord formed, the Lord erected, the Lord created that, that innermost part. The Lord has created what is within. The Lord has knit together you and me in the womb of, in the, womb of, of the mother with intent and with purpose. And despite being birthed into a broken, sin-tainted world. Romans 8, Paul tells us in Romans 8, in verse 20, he says, with Adam's disobedience there in the garden, when sin and rebellion were made manifest, calls the fall of man, would impact mankind and impact creation. That creation itself, Paul tells us in Romans 8, creation itself was subjected to the curse of sin, which sometimes can impact the journey to birth and birth itself. And sometimes, tragically, despite this, we are still made with awe and distinction and wonder. 
We, we will struggle with sin, and we will struggle with sinful choices. But we are still designed to give the Lord praise. And David knows this, and, and he's reminding us of both this, this hope and this reality. David says in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, God sees all. We've established that. And even as you and I were conceived in intimacy, hidden ever deeply within the mother's womb, made with purpose and intent and divine design, David says of the Lord, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Our unformed substance is acknowledged by the eyes of God himself. And, and many who ignore and deny Scripture, they, they debate. No, no they, they deny this. But the Lord knows all of our days, all of our moments. My mom's mom loved the, the soap opera that had the tagline, like sands through the hourglass. All of our moments, ordained, fashioned, determined in a manner not unlike what we see in Genesis chapter 2 when the Lord fashioned man from the dust. Our times are determined prior to the living of them. And, and we can't, you cannot, I cannot comprehend the scope of this reality. It's, we can't fathom the size of that, the implications of that. We cannot, we, we can't understand that. David says in verse 17, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. That, that right there, we, we forget, we, don't, don't we? God's thoughts toward us are precious. They're immense. They're, they're many. David says, If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I, I am still with you. God's thoughts. God's thoughts toward us. The, the God of all creation. He made you and He made me and desires to be intimately acquainted and involved in your life and in mine. And, and the Lord, He didn't design you and me. He didn't create us and then desire to, to, to just leave us alone, to, to wind us up and set us into motion. And That's that. That's never been His plan. That's never been His heart. We see some creation language here that the gods that God's thoughts of you and me are much vaster than the ocean and more abundant than every grain of sand. I read that and I'm reminded of the reality that mothers think about their children, no matter how old the children are, no matter the age of the child. Mothers think about their children. Go down to verse 23, please. David ends as he begins. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. David voices a plea for God to search him, for God to know his heart, to, to intimately discern his heart, to try him, to, to test him, to examine him, to know his anxious thoughts. If God already knows him as well as his heart. It's a logical question. Why is David asking this? If God knows it, 
Why does David pursue this line of questioning? Well, there's two reasons. Look, look at the very last verse. See if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. This testing and, and knowing is connected to a, to a plea for God to see if there is a, a hurtful way. Literally, that means a way of pain in David. That's quite a request. Is, is that a request that you or, you or I might ask? Would, would we have the courage? And there's one more thing. David pleads, lead me in the everlasting way. What is this everlasting way? We see it in the very first psalm, in Psalm 1 verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 writes, points out the benefit of David's everlasting way. We read in, in, this, in the Proverbs, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, and it shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Jeremiah would quote the Lord in, in Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah, he says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. There are benefits to, to walking in the everlasting way. There's goodness, there's, there's peace, there's rest, it's good stuff. But those to whom Jeremiah was speaking... They said, we will not walk in it. And, and Jeremiah is, is stating the reality of where a lot of folks are even today. It's like they want to be left alone, isn't it? You see, that's the challenge of walking with the Lord. We're not alone, but we're tempted to think that we are. We're, we're not to ignore the Lord's direction, but I know there's times I must confess, I want to play deaf, dumb, and blind. David says to the Lord in verse 3, and I told you we were coming back to verse 3, My road of life, you scrutinize, you, you examine and you inspect my way of life. Why? In order to bring me back, to, to correct me. Isn't that what a parent is supposed to do? And try as we may, try as we might, we can't get away from the reality that Jesus came to deal with sin. My sin, your sin. The sin of, of everyone. And in verse 11, we, we saw the word overwhelm. And I pointed out that the Old Testament word for overwhelm also can mean to crush or to bruise. Do you know where we first see this in Scripture? It, it happens also to be the first place where we see an attempt to flee from God's presence. Do you remember the Garden of Eden? You, you know the story. There was a, there's a conversation between Eve and the serpent regarding whether or not one should eat the fruit of a certain tree in the Garden of Eden. And a conversation which resulted in Adam and Eve doing the exact opposite of what was told them by the Lord. They ate fruit. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 tells us that the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. 
I would imagine they do this very frantically. You know, their eyes have been opened, but they are functioning now in blind panic. And then they hear the sound. They hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, we are told, they, they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. They're hiding among the trees of the garden. Their first response is to flee and to hide from the presence of God. The Lord God called to the man and says to Adam, Where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam follows his disobedience by attempting to throw his wife Eve under the bus, so to speak. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And Eve replies, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then after the Lord God curses the serpent, the Lord makes a statement which will change everything for all mankind. To the serpent he says, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. Hmm. They had been told earlier to to be fruitful and multiply, hadn't they? The Lord says, I will make to to the serpent, I will make enemies of you and the woman, and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The Lord points to a man, one who will be born of woman and born of God who will come to set things right. Eve, the first woman to be called mom, in her sorrow, she looks to this promised one, her descendant. One who will, in essence, be born of her descendant ages from now. One who will bruise the enemy. One who will crush death by the power of the cross. One who will overwhelm the darkness of sin by the light of his salvation. Jesus will deal with our sin, but we each have to confess it. It's hard, but it's also worth it. And there's something else. That word in verse 9, remotest, That can mean the farthest, but it can also mean the last, the end, the future. Jesus, our light of salvation, His grace is sufficient to cover our sin, to overwhelm us. No matter how remote we may find ourselves, He will cover us all the way to the last, to the end to the future. Do you remember what Jesus would tell all of his followers 
at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. With Jesus, we are never alone. 